Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Welcome to the Legendarium. In this episode, the Legendarium Brain Trust gets to talk about all but the last 70 pages of the conclusion of the Mistborn trilogy in The Hero of Ages. And Craig's and Ryan's battle cry, wait until book three, starts to pay off. Or as Ken says it, Let's get um, to the punching. Tally-ho, I'm in. (laughs) That was our intro, Todd. Um, Welcome, 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 welcome. Holy cow. We are very, very excited to be here. I am Craig Hanks. And, of course, let's meet our collection of nerds. Uh, somewhere on the food chain between lichen and tigers, it's Ken Johnson. My wife has been out of town for four and a half days, and I haven't slept since. That's, what? Oh, because of Mistborn. Right! Okay, (laughs) now it makes better sense. (laughs) Ken, you say weird things. Uh, let's see, his hair is so curly, I once heard it call me Mo. it's Todd Wenty. Including hair on my back. <laughs> wow. I can no, attest that's to curly. this, and that's very disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> and on my on my left, he's my oldest friend, which is weird, because he's only like 28. It's Ryan Bruckman. You didn't have any friends for that long? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, today we are finally, finally on to uh, Hero of Ages. And so I want you to all say it with me on the count of three. On the count of three, one, two, three. Wait, wait, wait until, until book three. three. Wait until book three. Holy cow. It's been a bit of a journey. Four podcasts and... Heads exploding. Oh, and dogs and cats of living together. <laughs> mass hysteria. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if you are reading along with us and you have read uh, The Hero of Ages... Um, we are, we're taking this up to, uh, very nearly the end of the book. Uh, we are holding off on the last 50 or 75 pages or so, uh, making Ken and Todd wait. Uh, but let's recap a bit of what we've seen so far before you guys, uh, allow your heads to explode. Um, so it's five years since the events of book one in which Vin killed the Lord Ruler. It's, uh, I don't even know, two or three years since she released Ruin from the Well of Ascension. Now we learn that Ruin was subtly guiding the events of the first two books in order to free himself to wreak destruction upon the world in book three. Ash is falling constantly and harder than ever. The mists are killing some, but not all, of the Ska who venture into them. And those mists are staying longer and longer throughout the day. Worst of all... Uh, we learn that there is a third power of, at play. In addition to Alamancy and Ferukami, there is something called hemolurgy, in which metal spikes used to kill Alamancers or Ferukamists, when driven into certain points on a different person, transfer the original powers. So This gross. is the technique used to create the Colossus, the Chandra, and the Inquisitors. Making an Inquisitor is messy. Is messy. Oh, and when hemolurgy is used, it gives ruin varying degrees of power or persuasion over the bearer of the spike. So now he has a bunch of, of inquisitors, an army of coloss, and the ability to spew ash at an alarming rate. Uh, basically, things look pretty bad for uh, everyone. Luckily, the Lord Ruler, uh, being not quite the jerk-off we assumed him to be, has been trying in his way to help people in a possible disaster like this. He prepared storage caverns with canned food, seeds, fresh water, and instructions written in steel to those who came after him. 
We join the Emperor and Empress, Ellen and Vin, as they are running across the Empire trying desperately to secure these storage caches with their supplies, their instructions, and, Vin hopes, the lost ATM. They lay siege to a city containing a large storage cache using a human army and some stolen coloss. That siege ends when their stolen coloss are in turn stolen from them by ruin with devastating consequences. Now, we do all also follow some other characters as well. Tensoon, everybody's favorite Chandra, uh, has been condemned to an eternity of captivity by his elders for breaking his contract and helping Vin, who he believes to be the, the hero of ages. Judgment! <laughs> <laughs> Unable to convince the other Chandra, he escapes in his wolfhound body and goes in search of her. Sazed, having lost his beloved Tindwil in Book 2, also loses his faith in the power of religion. Divinity should be perfect. His loss of motivation leads him to turn leadership of Ellen's secondary team to Spook, who has been working separately to secure another of those storage caches. Uh, Spook has also been distorting his body's physical abilities with constantly flared tin, giving his enhanced senses, uh, giving him enhanced senses far beyond what a normal tin burner can achieve. I'm tired of being useless. Um, and he further enhances himself when, in his greatest moment of need, he is saved. Uh, by what seems to be the ghost of Kelsier, giving him the additional power of pewter burning and a pantload of confidence to boot. Survivor of the flames! Kelsier becomes his constant companion, whispering words of encouragement, and as we all know, hearing voices in these books is always a sign of good, positive things. Am I right? Right. Right. Okay, Spook. So, kill him. That's, uh, it's always good when the invisible voice <laughs> is speaking to you. And it's always better when the invisible voice says, kill him. Kill him. It's uh, so if you, uh, dear listener, have read about the first half or so of uh, of book, well, no, about the first two thirds or so of, of book three, then that's my recap for you. Now we are going to be talking about a little bit beyond that. So uh, if you have not reached chapter seventy three and finished chapter seventy three, please stop listening to this podcast now. Go read. Um, do not, yeah, don't let us spoil it for you. Uh, the reason I say that is because, I mean, nobody wants a, a story to be spoiled for them, but for heaven's sake, back me up on this, guys. This is one of the best rides, uh, that a fantasy book has ever given anybody. The, the, probably the most, the most interesting thing, and of course all of our listeners will have enjoyed this because they were all, uh, waiting for us to get around to this. You should have seen the room with all four of us sitting in the book, reading, waiting for all four of us to be able to move forward with the podcast. Oh and because everybody gets to the same spot and goes, oh. There were lots of good noises. And and seriously, if you, if you don't get to chapter 67 to 73 on your own, then you are missing out on seriously a wild ride. Yeah, I mean, really you, cool. you have to experience those. On your own. You, so, you have to read those. Now, before we get to to that, let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about some some interesting things that this book does before we get to the the unbelievable twists and turns that the end <laughs> is providing. And you guys, I mean, you're still 75 pages or so out oh, from man. the end. I, it's, and, and based on the way that Brandon Sanderson writes, I can tell that those 75 pages or so are going to be things where I go every 10 pages, What? What? Ten, ten pages. You're giving him ten pages. I'm giving him ten lines. Ten. <laughs> each one. Each one. Yeah, seriously. Um, but let, let's go back and talk a little bit. There. So there have been a few things that I've been waiting to talk about um, through the first two books. 
uh, not just plot points, but also um, uh, the uh, what were the alerts that we were giving before? The themes, <laughs> theme, alerts. theme alerts. Yeah, yeah so alerts. different different themes and ideas that have been presented through the first two books. So we'll get through a lot of these. Um, so I don't know. I don't feel like I should be starting this. Ken and or Todd, uh, favorite things from the first part as you started this book. Uh, what what pulled you in and, and made you keep reading besides me texting you every few minutes saying, hey, where are you at? Hey, where are you at? Uh, you know, for, for me, there there were, I mean, there's three really big things for me that I've, that I've really enjoyed watching. One of them is um, the issue of, and, and you and I had, had texted over it a, a couple mm-hmm. of times, the issue of trust um, of, and of the role that trust plays in the mythology of the, of, of the book that he's built and the, in the world um, but also in the in the trust in the relationships between uh, Elend and Vin, uh, in and trust in themselves. Uh, what happens when you do have trust and confidence in yourself? What happens when you don't? Um, and what compromises you make if you don't have trust in someone? And what sacrifices you're willing to make if you do? That was that's been a fun theme to watch as it moves through. Ken, what well, about you? And, and to to bounce off that, what happens when you have trust in the wrong things? Oh, oh, oh man. man! So we, which we up learned... to this point has been pretty much everybody, yes. and everyone, oh everything, everywhere that you thought you were saying. I, 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 the when I finally got to the point where they revealed hemolurgy in the in the about the first hundred pages or so of the book, and you start to understand what hemolurgy is about and how mm-hmm. it works, I said. Oh crap! Because I I realized that everything up to that point had been a setup. Everything, and it's not just a little bit. Everything. everything. Yeah, everything. So we learn the uh, right up to the point where we've had you guys stop. Uh, right up toward that end, we learn that Vin's earring uh, is a hemallergic spike that her mother gave her in order to enhance the powers that somehow after, that she she knew she had killing her, her little sister. sister. And we understand finally how she can pierce, pierce copper, copper clouds, clouds. Right. Um, with the enhanced so, bronze. Yeah. But also, not just piercing copper clouds, but this has given—excuse <clears throat> me—it's given ruin a uh, an avenue into her mind, thus, uh, you know, setting up the whole premise of books one and two. So we realize at a certain point, we we realize that not only has Vin been led by the nose uh, through this adventure, or by the ear. Oh, or by that nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's been led by the ear to uh, you know to a- accomplish these seemingly wonderful and great things by a nefarious, destructive force, uh, a god. Um, it, but we've been led along. It's and it's almost if it weren't so masterfully done, it would piss me off you know i you know because i just feel like oh are you serious i wasted all these emotions on the first two books feeling like oh you you guys are so great you overthrew the lord ruler and you found the well of ascension and great job and and now we understand that no it was all an utter ruse this this whole thing of hemorrhage has it, it sucked me in from page one from chapter one when marsh comes in and and you know when they show show it in action and stuff and it it's the whole thing just kept me going just sucked me in so hard that i i am not kidding i had dreams for like three straight nights disturbing hemorrhagic dreams just like <laughs> well, where i woke up a little bit just like yeah just 
just and, disturbed and a little icky. And now we know the real reason Ken hasn't been able to sleep for four there days. You go. Well, this yeah, this so actually the revealing of hemallergy, and as you progress further on, we finally get the opportunity to to know what happened to Marsh. Yes, we, yeah, this whole time he yeah. won't talk about how he became an inquisitor, and we finally get to him revisiting what happened that night. And you know what? Reading that section again this time, it uh, it just you realize that. This process, a lot of times you think of like these ritual things in in movies and books or whatever. You know, this uh, acolyte comes forward and gets ready to receive everything. That's not how this was done. He was tackled down, someone threw it because, you know, they throw a woman on top of him, drive a spike through her heart and into his eye. You know, you just imagine that no one's going to go into this willingly on the other, on either end of this. Right. And just the force that this has and the fact that they have to do it the way they do it to maintain the power of the spike. Like... You know, the longer it's it ha- out of the body, the, the more power it loses. Yeah, yep. uh, just this. Every one of these, every one of these magic, for lack of better terms, magic systems, is unique, yet beautiful and, uh, and dare I say, balanced. There is yeah. not a single darn thing beautiful about hemology. Uh, aside the, from aside from the symmetry, maybe. I would, but. Yeah, I would say the the uh, rigor with which he creates his magic systems is. Uh, astounding okay and, there 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 is in beauty in how he has created the system i will i will agree with that but the system oh there is nothing but you you oh. think about it you say well, when you read the first book this is a great idea this magic system this burning metals to be able to affect things this push-pull system that's fantastic and we get then towards the end of that book we get introduced to Farukami and this whole idea of storing things in metals i'm like oh this is a very cool and unique idea and then he says guys guess what I got one more. Yeah. And and in this one, you don't store it. You steal it. Mm. Yep. Um, it's Okay, so are you ready, Ryan, for me to go, hey, you know, that reminds me of Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you and why. And for those of you who've been wondering how long that was going to take, <laughs> that was 12 minutes. Um, I, okay, what I, what I really mean is... Who won the pot is... this week for how long it would take Craig to get to, to Lord uh, of the Rings? Let's see. <laughs> Nobody picked 12. We had three people, all three of us picked under 12, so oh. none of us win okay. it this week. Um, Goes into the food, for, the food fund. So... Uh, do you remember how the orcs and the uh, the trolls are created? Torturing of the yeah, elf people. He's, uh, so the uh, the dark lord, not Sauron, but his boss Morgoth, he's not able to create things of his own. He's only able to steal the the designs of of you know the true creator and warp them and twist them into his own to his own designs kind of like coloss kind of like coloss yeah anyway so that's 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 hemallergy and that's why hemallergy is purely of ruin right because it does not have the power to um to create energy you know to to enhance anybody's abilities it's all about the the theft of someone's energies oh we finally get the answer to how new coloss are made yeah, that and was that. That was sticky. disturbing. Oh, freaky! Yeah, which but, I totally in, in well of ascension. I was proud of myself for this. It's like, well, they have a finite amount of skin, and they just kind of grow into it, and that's why, because it's just a person and right. a finite amount of skin, and they grow into it. So I, I want to um, get away from the oh how neat type things, and I want to I want to dive a little bit deeper into something that happens, especially for the, for the first. Um, uh, half of this book is where he concentrates on it the most, and that's religion. Mm-hmm. Religion has been a big part of this trilogy, um, both in a 
uh, both in a specific and a general way. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think of Sazed's journey uh, up to this point of uh, of trying to to study religions, distribute religions, ultimately giving up on his religions? What what have you been your thoughts as you've read about this? Because I'll uh, you know. This is one of the predictions I actually wanted to ask you for. I've given you, I gave both of these guys cards to write predictions down. Is where do you think Sezed will find, like, will he find his religious truth, or do you think he's. I actually already wrote down my, my guess on that one because I, I didn't think that that was necessarily where you were going to go, but I thought, oh, this is one that I, that I think that I see happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was. I am of I am of two minds um, on on this particular topic. One of them is is just from a from a literary standpoint. It's it's beautifully done. Um, his his um, agnosticism moving into his absolute um, requirement that there be no inconsistencies mm-hmm. in a religious system. Um, is is very much a a part of and um, something that we see in uh, a lot of individuals who do a religious search. They look for a religion that does not um, contradict itself or have inconsistencies. And that's a really, um, it's an interesting way to approach religion. It's also a very detailed way to approach religion and and religious constructs. Um, And ultimately, I'm I'm not sure you find a religion that well, has no con- inconsistencies. Yeah, what you're looking for, I mean, whether it's Sezed or somebody in, you know, in our world of today, uh, when you're looking for a religion, uh, religion is something that is, you know, whether you want to say constructed by or at least run by, um, peopled by humans, right? So a, a religion is an imperfect thing. It, it may worship what's considered to be a perfect god this divinity this perfect being right but the religion itself you know we're people we're humans and you'll always find inconsistencies um everywhere you look you know in every facet of life and religion is no different and the the second part of my mind is the is the part that is um personally related to this search um and and the things that I have done in and and gone through in my own life to to find a religion that that I feel matches me, um, and I I find myself feeling very much in tune with some of what Sezed goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like uh, when he when he makes his journey, um, at least as he goes through this journey rejecting religions and throwing them away but feeling like there has to be one and saying to himself if i could i wonder if i knew what the terrorist religion has and when he Mm -hmm. finally gets it he finds an answer that none of us really want but all of us get at some point and it uh it's on uh, in my copy it's on page 623 um when he's talking to members of the first generation which we find out are chandra the Contra, the, the, are, the Contra uh, are terrorist people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is like, Which is brilliant, and I wish I had okay. figured that out beforehand. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that one so I, smart. There's right? no way you can see Didn't that Didn't see that one coming at all. Oh, I disagree. I there. I think you could have seen that coming after knowing that the Contra... Anyway. Anyway, the, the, mine was mine was where um, it says, uh, Faith isn't about logic, son, Haddock said. Perhaps that's your problem. You can't disprove the things you study any more than we can prove that the hero will save us. You simply must believe it 
and accept things preservation has taught us. It's the line that he says before that that gets me too is the one where he says you're looking for a faith or you're looking for a religion that requires no faith from its yes from its followers like oh, a that's religion brilliant. Yeah. You're looking for the, you're searching for something. The truth? No. A religion that requires no faith. Um, mm-hmm. Really a, a, a nice discussion on the role that religion plays. Tindwell's done, you know, they've, they've, they've had this interplay between Sazed and Tindwell. Um, Tindwell being the perfect Marxist, if you will. Um, religion is the opiate of the masses right. and all these kinds of things. And Sazed trying valiantly to hold on to this idea, no, there's there's value to it even if all it does is provide us hope and when he loses his hope he has to have somebody else help him find it, it again. turns out that was the only value that he was finding in it um yeah there's also i mean there's a lot of there's religious imagery peppered throughout this uh, all over the place uh one thing that uh, that caught my attention was um did you guys catch what the symbol of the new religion is yes kelsier's religion the survivor the did spear Oh, this, this right, yes. and then the comment is made. Uh, so Demu, Captain Demu, is uh, wearing too, a, a necklace that bore a small silver spear, the increasingly popular symbol of the Church of the Survivor. It seemed odd to Vin that the weapon that had killed Kelsier would become a symbol of his survivors. And I'm going ding, ding, ding. People wearing yeah, crosses around yeah. their neck. You know, I wonder if Brandon Sanderson's going. That is that's that's a little weird that we all wear crosses around our necks as Christians. You know. Anyway, that, I, that little, little fun I, little commentary. I like caught that, that too. Like. A little, a little poke at you know. Yeah, I don't know that it was a poke. I think it was just a an observation. Well, and when I th- when I thought of the spear, I didn't think of it as the as because although it became the the symbol of the religion, I I'd, I'd seen it as the symbol of uh, the implement that was the liberating force from the mm. religion of the Lord Ruler. Oh, nice. And it wasn't until the, they described it. Oh no, it's because it's it's affiliated with the survivor. I was like. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, survivor that got killed. That makes so much sense. Of course, Ryan, you know, if the uh, ladies from our Women of the Lord of the Rings podcast were here, you know what it would be? This is the phallic representation of the uh, the manhood of to, the... To every woman who joined listening to our podcast <laughs> last week, we appreciated your two-episode listen. <laughs> I'm and, sorry. And we hope you'll be back next year when we do Women of Mistborn. There you go. No, or I just, woman of the woman of Mistborn. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I couldn't help it. I had to take a little shot. No. Um, okay, so let's move on then. Um, before I dig more holes, <laughs> what do you guys want and to drag us along <laughs> with you? Hero of Ages so fails the Bechdel test. Oh, it so does. <laughs> Did you listen to that? Do you know what the Bechdel test? is? Oh yeah, I know what the Bechdel test yeah, is. Yeah, I, I didn't. No I mean, long before, long before that, I've known. So let's chat a little bit about spook, shall we? Oh, spook. I like spook. Now, do you like spook himself or do you like you know, the character, the writing, the experience that you have with him? No, differentiate I, those two for me. I, 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 Brandon Sanderson is a great storyteller mm-hmm. and giving us the opportunity to get into spook to find out what's, what, what drives him isn't so much of a surprise, but... I, I, I kind of resonate with that because, you know, here's Spook surrounded by all these people doing all these magnificent things and he feels so inadequate and so not like them and and so inferior um, and wants to be wants to be like them, wants to be like that, wants to be important, wants to be useful, all these kinds of all these kinds of things that he sees himself not being. Um, I think that's very much a, that's a very human trait 
Um, I think we all. I think that as we as we grow, that many of us, not all of us, uh, some of us are quarterbacks, some of us are CEOs, some of us are you know whatever. But I think that there are a lot of us who see those people uh, who have what we see, what we perceive to be storied lives. And feel very inadequate next to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Spook is the embodiment of the demotivator. Not everyone gets to be an astronaut when you grow up. I, and and yet, everyone can be valued and valuable. And I think Spook. I think Spook is is the perfect everyman for this for this crew for this crew of mistings. Absolutely. Well, Spook. I mean. He's he's the embodiment of the insecure person who wants to be who who wants to be awesome but fails to recognize the important and good things that they can do or the things that they can do well and and then does not magnify that. And until later, until he realizes, you know, what a fool he's been for trying to do, you know, to have somebody else's glory and and realizes you know what he can do and, although, and, and although accepts spe- that although speaking of magnifying um i think the 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 burning of tin a little too long <sighs> that oh, wasn't was that a, really that's cool. a great device it's um one of the things i like about this book in particular and the trilogy as a whole is that he's he's built up these powers and given us a real crescendo in our understanding of how these powers do and can work. And so he doesn't throw everything at you in book one because that gives him nowhere to go. So in book one, you know, you remember at the end when Kelser's fighting the Inquisitor and how cool that whirlwind of metal it was and, and you're going, wow, this is, you know, artful in in how he's using these powers in this book. Well, he hasn't even gotten started, you know, and he whether it's Vin blowing up Credit Shaw, which was amazing, and we might talk about that later, oh, or if it's, you know, if it's uh, Spook being able to completely alter his physicality just by the constant uh, flaring of his tin. Um, yeah, he does a great job in exploring several different ways in which all three of these powers can you know could be used i can just imagine brandon sanderson or or somebody else sitting down at their desk creating a magic system first going okay what would be what would be a neat magic system they come up with a few ideas and then they start constructing the story around it and you go how do i you know where would this magic system take me you know and that's that's a question i would love to ask which came first the magic system or the the story? story yeah um, I'm, you know, and I'm sure the answer would be Wilbo. Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> a yeah, that's an interesting answer because it's an interesting question, right? Um, and it's and it's a tough one to do. It's a it's a tough one to ask, and I'm sure it's a tough one to answer from a standpoint mm-hmm. of of uh, someone who's who's lived with it as long as he has. Uh, but it would be interesting to see which direction came first. Yeah, reading yeah. this for three books now, it as a if you could see my air quotes, aspiring author as you know somebody who's who's thought that he could actually write this the book kind of frustrates me and and brings out my own inner spook because i his system that he has created his this universe that he's created for three books is so brilliant that i look at it and i go i cannot do this and it just makes me go i suck (laughs) it's like you know why can't um, i be kelsey i mean why can't i be brandon sanderson you know (laughs) ryan do you ever do the thing you and i both play the piano um you know at least at least moderately to advanced 
but do you ever listen to a, a, a great concert pianist and just hang your head in shame like oh gosh I, you, that kind of thing is that what you're talking about ken yeah it's pretty much it's also the same thing uh the same sentiment i get when i hear wenty belting out on stage and i just go <laughs> well that's it that is a very natural thing for us to when we see something that we deem as amazing we look at it or or above an average type thing we look at it and we go wow I'm not there. And when we do that, it's, you know, it's hard for us to, to realize that we, we've got our own touch on things. And they're, you know, even though you're not going to write, you know, another Mistborn trilogy, but your story might be as intriguing or as interesting as you go along that. It's hard to do that. It's hard for us to realize that because like Spook, we only have our own perspective. Now he gets this very cool ability where he forced, he actually... Uh, changes his physicality by and does it out of penance i mean how many times have you looked at something like that and then been like okay you know what i see this guy you know i hear this guy singing who's amazing i'm gonna sing every day i'm gonna sing for an hour and you all of a sudden get gung-ho and try and do something different you try and uh, push yourself to the limits to try and get yourself to that point again and that's what spook does is out of penance for leaving hit for leaving clubs out of penance for not being kelsey for all these things he he tortures his body by continually flaring tin and eventually has to learn to take that torture on him on himself and alter things where you know he has to wear a blindfold now he has to deal with the pain of being able to feel everything he steps on and as you know as an author as as an aspiring whatever you are you're gonna go through that to get to the point that you want to be if you're you know if you take if you choose to take the path of spook if you decide to be the underdog the the nobody there who's going to achieve and, and create something you're going to feel some cuts on your feet. You're going to burn your eyes out there a bit trying to get there. Otherwise, you have to choose another path to, to take to figure out how to get to where you want to be. It's, it's also very, um, very uh, human, um, and I would say uh, somewhat immature human, to compare our weaknesses against another's strength for what we perceive to be a strength um, without recognizing where that strength has come from. Um, I've, I've had an opportunity to, to read, um, early writings of some other authors and then compare them with later writings. Um, and they change, they develop, they grow and they grow by the same kinds of processes. But as, as immature humans, we, we very regularly compare our weaknesses to their strengths rather than getting to a point of maturity where we can say, I recognize the effort that went into getting to there, and I make a choice either to emulate that and duplicate that, or to choose a different avenue, or to move Find on. My yeah. own strengths. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Fun, and 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 I think in Spook, he's uh, Spook. Really, you know, to say he's the everyman of the Mistborn series is probably uh, is probably a, a little inaccurate. He's obviously the every misting. Um, yeah. be, right. <laughs> um, but he really does fill that role of the everyman. Um, he's the he's the one that that when we're done with the story, we kind of we kind of relate to Spook probably at least as much as any of the others, and, and more so because we feel his pain more keenly. 
and and we're given that opportunity. Brandon Sanderson gives us that opportunity. Yeah. Although I really like Breeze. <laughs> Breeze is wonderful. <laughs> Breeze He's is funny. such a great character over three. Because yeah, uh, Spook isn't isn't as much a great character over three books. And we we he really only comes into his own in this one. But Breeze. I, I feel like he's, yeah, he's my favorite throughout the, if you take it as a three book cycle. Alfred Molina, I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've poisoned my mind, by the way, Boy, as I'm reading this. Breeze, it's terrible. Breeze and Elrien together. I, I love those two. I could just picture in the in the riot. I know people like them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, but just those two in the riot, I could see, you know, him him soothing her, rioting back and forth. Well, Elrien, we're going to need oh, that riot after man. all. <laughs> I, I love I those two. They won me. Well, I mean, I liked him anyway. But those they won me over with that. I'm like, oh, those two work so perfectly. You had me at breezy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Todd, I want to go back to something you said. Um, you know, if you read an author early in their career and then late in their career, you you see they they grow and hopefully they improve. Um, hopefully they don't get lazy. I can think of a few who did. <laughs> um, but so I want to talk a little bit about the weaknesses of this book. Uh, because it's not perfect. This this was several years ago now that Brandon Sanderson wrote this. The dude is insanely prolific. So mm-hmm. even after, what, a half dozen years or so that since this book came out, um, he's put out an amazing amount of other work. Um, and so this is early in his career. This is one of the first things that he did was this Mistborn trilogy. So it's, I, I'd say it's not perfect. Um, so I wanted to point out a couple of things that I that I thought, you know, okay, well, that was a bit of a misfire. Um, there's, a, let's see, uh, where are we even in the story? Um, Ellen is talking to Vin. He says, oh, come on, you have to admit that you're unusual, Vin. You're something, you're, you're like some strange mixture of a noblewoman, a street urchin, and a cat. Plus, you've managed in our short three years together to kill not only my god, but my father, my brother, and my fiancé. That's kind of like a homicidal hat trick. And I, you know, I read a line like that and I said, yeah, that's a funny line, but... Hat trick. But it, yeah, yeah but it this, totally doesn't fit it in. It does not belong in this book. Nope. You know, I can see why if you wrote the line like that, you'd chuckle and, you know, think you're clever and you'd leave it in there, but... But all our friends from up there in Canada, they understood that right <laughs> off the bat there, didn't they? Um, anyway, so, you know, little little things like that. There are a few moments where I think, uh, you know, you could have you could have done with that, that, that well, line. You, you could also just as easily suspend your disbelief and say they may have sports there and maybe they actually do have the hat trick idea. Oh, it, it works as it works as well to say that as it does to say it's a mistake I, yeah. let's I, ask the sport guy i personally uh was of the opinion that the hat trick was something noblemen played at the balls when they were bored when they weren't dancing where they would try to stack three hats onto a pole there you go. wow all of you are and if you so could stack, if you could wow. stack those three on a pole that was called a hat trick <laughs> that's nice that's nice that's a that's a good I'm that's a good Ken. trick too impressed. yeah um, but you know, there's other stuff as well. There's, um, and this was a little bit of a bigger one. That was just kind of a, yeah, that's a line that didn't really belong. And that's fine. I can forgive that. Um, it's about halfway through the book and a little more, two thirds of the way through the book. Ellen is, um, second guessing himself. He's, he is really having a hard time, uh, trying to understand why he doesn't being as powerful as he is and as influential as he is, he feels powerless against what's coming to kill these people, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he's, uh, he's thinking to himself, he says, Elend had never lusted for power. He'd been a theorist and a scholar, ruling an empire that had mostly been, uh, ruling an empire had mostly been an academic exercise for him. Um, let's see. As people died around him, despite his most frenzied efforts, he could see what would drive men for more and more power. Power to protect. At that moment, he would have accepted the powers of godhood if it meant having the strength to have, to save the people around him. And as I read that, I thought, you know, I'm not sure that that this is accurate. I mean, maybe it is from Ellen's perspective, but it sounded more like this is Brandon Sanderson, Sanderson kind of philosophizing mm-hmm. about power. And I thought it kind of missed the mark. Why do people pursue power? And he's going, well, you know, maybe this is why. And I'm going, well, yeah, maybe the best I think it's, people. But I, I think perhaps it is in some way autobiographical, too. Yeah. Um, Maybe he's just a really good guy. One of the one of the things I I, I remember uh, talking to a friend of mine when I was in the midst of of writing uh, some early pieces, and I said this is I said this piece feels very autobiographical to me, and he said, well, it, it, that's not a surprise. Pretty much everything that you write will be in, to some extent autobiographical, um, and and I get that, um, and I think that Brandon Sanderson is the kind of person who, if he did lust for power, would lust for it out of an intention at the beginning to do good. Um, but I but I don't think that what we see in the world necessarily is individuals doesn't, who doesn't come to power yeah. for the intention to do good. They come to power. They, they pursue power for the ability to do what they wish, which they may or may not perceive as good for the people. In, in democratic societies, we kind of believe that, uh, and we kind of hope that. But I think there is equally as much that they hope that it just gives them some power and satisfaction personally. Well, here's the thing for me with this, is that this entire book, ever since Ellen has been made emperor, he has been compared to the Lord Ruler by everyone he talks to. And, and we, favor, favorably and by or his, not. And yeah, by himself. Right. Yeah. And the whole time he is comparing himself to that. And what have we learned in the last book and a half up to this point now about the Lord Ruler? He took the power to protect. He's understanding. And the more, the longer we go on, Ellen is understanding the Lord's Ruler's mentality and his understanding. And he's just trying to figure out how he can be different from the Lord Ruler. Yeah, but here's another thing that's really interesting about this. I think it's... Uh, I. And and maybe I'm way off in left field, but it's a it's again a very human thing in that he has a presumption that he can the Lord Ruler and Elend that they can fix the world. Yes, and now we have Ash Mounts, and, and that and and the idea that the world needs fixing at all, and the hubris mm. that a mortal being. Um, or that a even a seemingly immortal being who, with all of the Lord Ruler's abilities and all of these kinds of things, the, the hubris that a mortal being can can take upon um, him or herself the responsibility of fixing the world is a pretty arrogant step. And not only is it is it very very arrogant, but it's very very believable because. Right now, I mean, I, without getting into specifics, partly because I don't want to date the podcast too much and partly because 
well, you know, politics is what it is. But this is so very visible as um, something that's going on, uh, especially in our country, but throughout the world. Uh, pick the, a topic. Yeah, pick a topic. And that's that's exactly what so many people with power are, believe that they're doing. I am fixing what's wrong, what I perceive as being wrong with the world. Right? And, and, and while I applaud anyone who is trying to do good from, from their perspective... I when when it's when it's pushed onto a global scale, um, I have to remind myself. Perhaps I am better spent. I, I am better served spending my time thinking about what I can do on my micro there scale. You go. Yeah, doing good leads to do goodery, but accomplishing good is something very very different. Just ask the Lord Ruler. So the anyway, Lord back know. to Mistborn. <laughs> well, and, and, and all of this is, I, I, again, if, if a book is an outgrowth of its time, um, Lord of the Rings was very much an outgrowth of the... The World Wars. Of, of the World Wars. I do feel like it was a growth on me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, Mistborn, I think, is, is going to eventually be seen uh, in, in context of its time. Uh, and there will be there will be parallels that people who are familiar with the time frames will go, oh yeah, Ashmount, yeah, I get where he's going with that one. Uh, in the same way that Dune was a piece of its time, and and I think that's one of the things that makes it timeless. Let me let me defend that for just a second, because while the lessons can be timeless and can be spread wherever they need to be spread, um, the fact that a that a piece of literature can present a mythical system, a morality tale from its own time, rooted in its own time, with lessons from its own time that are applicable to any time. I think that may, that's going to make this book one that's, uh, this series, one that's going to last for a good long time. It's, it's a question that I will wait to explore fully until our final Mistborn cast, um, when we fi- you two have finished the book. Um, you know what? What is going to make this story last? If it does, uh, so we have uh, shot upward into level two, much like Vin shooting <laughs> up above the mists oh toward the gosh. sky. Now let's descend back towards how Ken's she level one, shall we? Um, yeah. Let's talk about. Let's get um, to the punching. Let's get <laughs> to the punching. <laughs> There's a whole lot of punching to do, too, let me tell you. (laughs) Ken, that was majestic. (laughs) I've never seen Ryan laugh like this. That's fantastic. Okay. This is falling apart right around my very very eyes. Um, This is why we don't record past midnight. (laughs) We're like gremlins. Ryan's lost it. Ryan has lost it. That is single-handedly the best line that has ever been said on this podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now the question is how much of that do we edit out? All right, oh, Ken. Ken, talk about minute. talk about punching. Talk about punching for me. Oh my you? gosh, this thing was so chock full of action. I loved it. Now, are you talking about the whole book or cuz I know you've got the last part that you just read on your mind. Oh yeah, that Oh, that was epic. Holy cow. Then Kelsier took on one Inquisitor. What was she thinking taking on 13? I love that. <laughs> What's even better about that point there, too, is at that point, it's not 12 Inquisitors. The Shidi says it's basically 12 Lord Rulers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. come to the realization these are these are Alamancers mixed with Farukamists mixed with Hemologists. 
And these guys are bad news. And she's taking them all on. And, and the brilliance of of mixing all of that epic battle in with vindicating Marsh. And I, I really hope people have turned off the podcast by now. If you have not read chapter 72, because you just had a little thing spoiled. You just, I mean, we've you just got spoiled. Times, so. but. Well, but that might be the, that might be the icing on the cake, but this is a, a great cake. Of, oh, it's of action. It's got, so, I mean, just, uh, just that chapter alone, but I, even at, at the very start where, Ellen comes to I don't even remember what the tiny little podunky nothing town Vetiton? Yes. Vetiton oh, yeah, or whatever. Let's see, here's the naming thing again. Vetiton is what I, I think it was. But it, he he shows up, says I'm bringing two armies and one shows up and it's Colossus and holy crap. And then two shows up and it's Vin and holy crap and then the inquisitor shows up and now you're really holy crapping. <laughs> <laughs> You're just uh, wow! You're you're full of it today, Ken. Uh, not not anymore because I. <laughs> no, okay, we're not uh, going. But wow, this really. Well, then, we, we, yeah, I think we descended well past level one. <laughs> yeah, we're at level point five now. <laughs> we're in the basement. Nothing good ever happens after midnight. Yeah, that's true. I except, tell my children that all the except time, except for some podcast magic. But <laughs> no, but the the action sequences in this, from from where you're at there at the beginning, uh, it, it just it builds on every moment builds on the next, and you are. I never feel like there's a small battle in this anymore. There's never little things anymore. No, there can't be. Well, this and, is the end of the world. And he does he does a lot of things where even the talking feels like an action sequence, like like Ten Soon's. Inquis- inquiry in front of the the uh, second generations mm-hmm. that feels i, I mean all it's it is is tense. talking but man it is tense it feels like action the rare you court can't case. handle exactly. the truth it's exactly what it feels like one of the most exciting movies ever ever yeah really uh, you know courtroom drama and yet it just held people cap you know absolutely yeah. captivated yeah this and 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 it has that feeling um, the the interrogation scenes with between uh, between Yeoman and Vin. Um, yes, mm-hmm. I, you know I'm 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 I, I like me a psychological thriller. I really do, and so for me that was kind of fun. That was a, that was a tasty little bit of interlude there. But oh my goodness, it was also <laughs> don't do that to me. <laughs> wow, I didn't know I had that kind of power. Okay. Um, but it but it was also. It, it, it felt like a sparring session. It was. It was very much. Um, it was if you played Monkey Island, right? Where you hurl insults as a sword fight. Yes. Nice. Okay. Yes. You didn't play Monkey Island. I know. I get out. Sorry. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the, the tone. He does a great job of setting the tone early with that first fight too, where Vin's like, "Okay, here comes the Inquisitor." I know how to take out Inquisitors. I've taken out an Inquisitor before. Gets in there, spars a little bit, rips off his robe, goes to pull the spike and goes, oh, crap. They figured out a way to block that spike. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is mm-hmm. not going to be. evolution of your enemy. Yeah, this is not going to be your your uh, well, father figures walk in the park. This is going to be some really bad stuff. Well, go, and it was. Going back to your whole thing with like the sparring matches with the Yeoman. He has become, especially in the second reading through to me, I hated him the first time I read, but the second reading through, I've really come to appreciate him as a character. I like him as a character right mm-hmm. off. Because he's your anti-protagonist all in, all in one. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a tagonist, really. Yeah, just, just a tagonist. A tagonist. Because, a tagline. Or would it be and, a gonist? 
Whatever. I, I love that. I love that uh, Brandon Sanderson actually addresses this through the character of Set, and he tells him, "You shouldn't have gone and talked to him because now he's a person. Now you know. Now you've spent time with him." And Ellen thinks about it because he's like, "I could have sat and philosophized with this guy, you know, for hours." And you realize, I love how philosophized is a word now. I know. I hate you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's gone through, and and we get this this enemy in air quotes is this enemy that you could be friends with it's there there are no bad guys on these two sides yeah everybody's trying to do the right thing he's you, a final empire frenemy and and he's a he is a man of deep faith if we want to get back to the religious thing you yeah. know and that's and that's a really interesting thing that that his faith um he he makes a couple of interesting statements along the line that you kind of wish Cezad could hear um you know, he says, he says, I don't, I don't have any evidence that the Lord ruler is dead. I just have your word, but I don't believe you to begin with. So why do I believe that the Lord ruler is dead? I mean, some, you know, some, some wonderful kinds of moments that you kind of turn around and say, yeah, faithful person would say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and of course we, as the, uh, in this case, uh, sort of omniscient reader, we understand, of course he's dead. We know he's dead, but what would you do? If somebody came to you and very Nietzsche-like said, "Hey, by the way, your God is dead," say, "Get out! Yeah. De- you know, get out of my house." No, he's not. Don't you don't what you, have to say. you don't understand. Yeah, you don't get it. Yeah. And 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 the, it's an it's a nice interplay on on religion, but it's also a really nice interplay on um, on traps, on the fact that not all wars are fought and won by brute strength alone. Um, the fact that, um, yeoman builds the perfect mistborn prison, mm, um, yeah. that was, re- and, and baits Vin and Ellen so well that they can't help but go. And then she's gone yeah, that's right. out yeah. of commission for, you know, and I, I kept sitting there saying to myself, I wonder how long she's going to be out of commission on this. This is kind of. I mean, this book is supposed to be about her, right? When's it coming back? Yeah, yeah. it was cool. Um, so I think we're we're probably about ready to wrap this bad boy up. And oh, there's uh, so much more to there talk is. about. Still got, we still got we still got a we've few got minutes. a few minutes, and I'm I'm happy to uh, to entertain a few more subjects. Um, what else do you guys want to talk about? Uh, do you want to talk about ruins, uh, power? Do you want to talk about? Uh, I want to know your predictions. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Preservation is not dead. See, I hate doing these predictions because every time I do these predictions, I have been wrong and you always say, wait until book three. So now we're going to make these predictions. You're going to say, wait till the end. We we won't say we Pre- won't say anything like that. I will I, not say those words. It will be all on your faces. Pre- preservation I, is not dead. Vin is going to use the mist somehow to... Recapture preservation and ruin are are abstracts. They're not. You can't kill them. They weren't born. You can't kill them. They're 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 just there. You can pin them up. She's going to figure out some way to use the mist to pin up ruin for another thousand years or another millennium. I I have that down. I have that. Um, that I think the person writing the histories, the little the little um summaries at the beginning or yep, the end the of the chapter chapters headings. depending on how the post you're game looking notes. at it. The post, the post game, game notes. recap. Uh, I think that's Marsh. I'm really thinking that that's going to be Marsh. Nice. Um, I kind of hope that that's going to be Marsh because I really like where it's going. And I think that Cezed is going to become 
the leader of the new religion that all Ooh. of these things are going to point toward that's that are going to point towards Sezed not only regaining his faith uh, but becoming the leader of that church I, that I he that has fought so yeah. hard to not be involved with. Wenty with the bold prediction, everybody. I like, that. I had, I like those quite a bit. I had that second one down or the third one down. I didn't have the one about Marsh. I love it because I I've liked Marsh from the very beginning, but. Far yeah. more, far more than knowing whether or not you guys have the answers right. It's, uh, it's very satisfying for me to to see two people read the book so well. Yeah, I mean, it it's doesn't. At this point, it doesn't matter if you're right because uh, yeah, it's just these are awesome predictions. And, and, and we'll see what uh, happens. And, and if the book were to end that way, yeah, that'd be an awesome ending. Yeah, I think. Wait, are you saying it doesn't end that? Oh crap. <sighs> That's not what Ken, I'm, I'm saying. Head game. We're going to hold head on. Games with us. We're going to hold on to these, and I w- I'm excited to have you guys come back to these <laughs> after you've read them and see where you were right, where you were wrong, and uh, because you know, in in the next seventy, uh, I just looked in my book. There's about seventy-one pages until we hit the epilogue. You know what they're saying, Todd? Wait until chapter eighty-five. Yeah, I know that's exactly what they're yeah. saying. <laughs> Um, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we weren't wrong. Wait oh, you until were not. Book three you were not wrong. Was, book three was. And, and this is so. If you're listening to this, obviously you've already read uh, at least up to this point, um, and probably all of book three. But so you know. And if if anybody else asks you what it's like to read the Mistborn trilogy, I mean, I think we'd all say the same thing. Yes, book one is immensely satisfying. So good. Book two builds on that so well, and it gives you such a great ending, and what a wonderful cliffhanger. But ultimately, wait until book three. Yeah, you got to go to and, book three. And, and of course, like you guys are joking about, yeah, wait until the ending. And when you read the ending, you'll see why I say this isn't just a good fantasy trilogy. This isn't just an outstanding fantasy trilogy. This is, in my mind, the outstanding fantasy trilogy of... Uh, any time, any time that I, that I've been alive, yeah. you know, and conscious of fantasy and science fiction, this is it. No, it's brilliant. This is a brilliant way to finish a trilogy because far too many times, book three kind of peters out and leaves you kind of wanting more because because the the author packs too much into one and two and kind of. I was gonna say something I don't want to say. Anyway, he he wastes all of his stuff. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, in books one and two, and just kind of leaves you unfulfilled for, or they realize, book three. or they realize at this point, I need to wrap this up. I've got so many loose ends. I need to kill. I need to kind of chop off a bunch of stuff here and resolve it all quickly. Yep. And let's I take got... off his mask and find out who he really is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But man, Brandon Sanderson does a phenomenal job of building, 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 and makes book three really pay off. Yep, I I have to say the one thing that I'm that I'm really looking forward to um, as I'm as I'm reading this, partly because of the systems that are put into place, but partly because um, having having uh, met Brandon Sanderson, having listened to him talk about this process, um, and and I think we hinted at it one time when we were talking in in one of our earlier podcasts that he said that when he pitched this series, he pitched it as a set of three trilogies, which granted George Lucas tried that once and didn't work so well, but now it's coming back. Maybe we'll get three trilogies. Um, but he pitched it as a trilogy of in a fantasy time frame, a trilogy in a modern 
time frame and a trilogy in a science fiction futuristic time frame where allomancy is the tool by which they explore the stars. I'm, so you're looking well past the next 71 pages. I'm 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 excited for the next 71 pages because I want to I I, I want to see how he sets this, but I'm recognizing that he's going to set it in such a way that it allows these other two pieces to occur. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that. You know, it, uh, I'm I'm remembering uh, uh, when we finished up our Lord of the Rings podcast. Um, and we were talking about Evangeline Lilly, who won't read the last 30 pages or so of Lord of the Rings. You remember that? Because she says, I don't want this story to end. And uh, and I remember thinking, you know, that's probably okay. It's 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 a lot of wrap-up stuff. There's the scouring in the Shire. And it, and it really kind of, uh, it, it dies down and you have a very quiet, albeit satisfying, ending. This is not the case. If you don't finish this book, you didn't read any of it as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so uh, so you must read all the way through the epilogue, um, which is what you guys are going to do. I'm sure. I I don't care if it's 1 a.m. You're probably going to go home and read this book. Um, well, and we can't. Probably right. Yeah. We, we so. can't. Because you're old men and you have to go to bed. No, because we were supposed to we're save. We're supposed to read it just before. Yeah, we <laughs> and re- read it. We'll right talk before about that. We record anyway. So yeah, let's uh, Ryan. Unless you have anything else you want to talk about, I'm just you're uh, just savoring this. I'm I'm enjoying it so much. Let's and I'm just excited for the promised happy ending that will come in this book <laughs> because it's so set up for a happy ending, isn't it, boys? Oh man, I'm gonna flick you. <laughs> I hate you all. Oh, wait, sorry, that's Craig's. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys, thank you for being our guinea pigs. Kill him. Hey, right. Um, we will reconvene uh, either next week or in about 45 minutes when you guys have finished this. <laughs> we'll talk about book three in its entirety. Uh, thank you to everybody listening uh, for hanging in there with us. We've got one more cast to go on our Mistborn series. Uh, and what a freaking ride it's been. Uh, the, the beginning of that episode will be the sound of heads exploding <laughs> against microphones. And after that episode, we will be free. <laughs> from my iron clutches. All right. Thank you again, everybody, for coming in. And thank you for listening. We will see you on the other side of Hero of Ages. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com.